like you can cut this out bisexual finn would have been the strongest possible storyline and we didn't get it oh i'm not cutting that out at all that's truth and everyone needs to hear it Everyone, and welcome to the Sing Stations podcast. I am Eliza, and I am of the firm belief that all football games should have single lady dance breaks in the middle. My name is Lori, and I'm so glad James Corden never guest starred on Glee. <laughs> Sorry, we almost had we had a, this is an auditory medium, not a visual one. I need you all to know just how close we just got to a full spit take for me. Um, yeah. This is an anti James Corden podcast. Anti James Corden. Did you know? that there was going to be an Into the Woods in, I think, the 80s with Robin Williams as the baker and Cher as the witch. That would have been so much better. Um, It would have also been produced by the Jim Henson Company, so probably would have had, like, really cool costumes and puppets and sets and awesome stuff. We can't have nice things. That's homophobia right there. Yeah, truly, against me personally. Okay, so back on topic... (laughs) We are going to talk about Glee. I really enjoyed watching this episode. I'll start out by saying, because I felt like we've kind of been waiting at this point to get to the real like meat and potatoes of the show. And this is where the plot thickens. This is where things get bum bum dramatic. What I've been doing when I watch the episodes is I go back to the end of the first episode, the episode right before it, and like just watch the ending to like, like just get an idea of like how we're transitioning to things and going directly from Kurt coming out to single ladies. Chef's kiss. This episode opens with just the intro to single ladies. It's not a cover. They're just dancing in Kurt's basement to single ladies, which is, I think, one of the gayest activities that I can imagine. It's Brittany and Tina and Kurt all learning the single ladies dance in his basement and it's like being shot on a camcorder which implies that they're like recording it to post it somewhere which kind of seems like an invitation to get bullied also i looked it up single ladies came out on october 13th 2008 this episode was released on september 23rd 2009 so this song was just over a year old when it premiered whereas this like, was its I birthday known sing- the happy birthday beyonce your song is on glee Um, whereas for me, like, I just, I don't think I ever knew a time when I didn't know single ladies. Kurt is doing his absolute best with the dance here, but like, it's clear kind of from the beginning that Chris Colfer isn't really a dancer. Like he's not doing poorly, but it's, it's kind of obvious that like, this isn't his thing. And that's fine. I know that I'm not a good dancer either. So it's really cute. Like it comes off. So we know that Chris Colfer was 18 when he was filming this. Jenna Ushkowitz and Heather Morris were both, I want to say, in their like early 20s. So there's like, you can tell that he is young here. And you can tell yeah. that th- that he's doing this just for fun. The character Kurt, I think, is doing this for funsies because he wants to have fun with his friends. I don't know if the writers of Glee were going for this because I don't know if they were that smart. However, I do want to get into it. Um, so Kurt, if you look around Kurt's bedroom, it is like a monochromatic, like super modern, like everything is immaculately clean. I think I think maybe like at home he keeps like everything very like clean, clear, routine, like dot 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 dot. He's very in control of everything. And I'm kind of wondering, do you kind of agree with my assessment where like maybe he's trying to exert control on as much as he can because he's so out of control in other parts of his life, like getting bullied, like he can't seem to control that. 
I think that's an, and definitely an accurate description. I see it less about him being clean and I see it more about, I see it more as a commentary on his relationship with his dad. Cause what happens is Bert comes down the stairs and he says, I came home early because deadliest catch was on, which is the straightest thing I can imagine saying. And to me, it, it signals to us, the audience that Kurt lives in a completely different world from his dad where Kurt has kind of taken over this like basement area, made it into his bedroom. And you're right. It's very like pristine and modern. And then his dad comes downstairs and he's just wearing like flannel. We don't know what a legendary, like not to like go on and on about Bert Hummel, but he is like the only man. And like, it's kind of communicating, like maybe we should be nervous about how this is going to go because Kurt certainly seems so nervous because he just diverts immediately to talking about working out in sports. Bert asks about the unitards that they're wearing because Brittany and Tina are in like normal leotards, whereas Kurt is also in like a full body unitard and also like a sparkly vest. You're right to note that Kurt like doesn't even, he doesn't even try to explain to his dad, you know, that, oh, we're in dance gear because we're rehearsing the dance to Single Ladies by Beyonce. That would go completely over Bert's head. But what I do like is that Bert kind of, he kind of lets it happen. I don't know, because I'll get your thoughts on this. I, we learn later that Bert has essentially known that Kurt was gay since he was a kid. So I think this is an interesting scene because it's pretty obvious that Kurt is lying and that he was just dancing to Beyonce in the basement and not like practicing football, which is what he says. He says it like the unitards help wick sweat. Mm -hmm. So like, does Bert want to believe that it's true? Maybe he's just like waiting till Kurt is ready to talk about it. Yeah, I would agree with that. But also, um, so Kurt's just the one that's like brings up men wear them to work out now. Brittany and Tina, they immediately go to bat for Kurt on this one. They're like, yeah, he's on the football team. He's the kicker. That's the smallest guy in the field. And like, they kind of like mess stuff up for him because he's not on the football team. And I do think that that's very kind of them. Yeah, it does kind of, it kind of digs Kurt into a deeper hole. Kurt and Bert, like the thing about them is they both want to be close emotionally and be okay and they both really want to be loved because Kurt's mom died when he was very young which we don't learn in this we learn that she's dead in this episode but we don't learn how recently she died and but they like both of them in their own ways have built up all their own walls and it's hard for them to communicate because they're so caught up in the people that they each think that they're supposed to be even if the other person doesn't expect that of them because as you said like Kurt Burt later on says like I've known you were gay they're on opposite sides of a wall trying to break through the wall but they aren't like tearing down the wall correctly they're somehow building it up more I'm not I lost the thread of this metaphor they're so caught up like Kurt's like this is the son my dad wants he wants the son that's on the football team and has the girlfriend and Bert is like, this is like probably the dad that he wants, like the, the dad who's like kind of hands off and lets him do his own thing. But no, like what they want is like, Bert wants his son to be himself and comfortable and safe. And Kurt wants his dad that he can talk to and be open with. Kurt, Kurt's mom did die when he was very young. And so essentially he's been raised by his single father. I, I don't think it's not in this episode, but I believe in later episodes, Bert says something along the lines of like, oh, your mom was so much better at the emotional stuff and I'm not. And I think that does indicate to us that there has been like a rift between them for a while, even though they're 
like you said, they're like both on the sides of the wall and they just like want to get through to each other, but they're just doing it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. I feel like it would be remiss to not mention in this scene like that there is commentary to be made about Kurt as like a stereotype of a gay man. But I think also he does get better characterized as the show goes on and as we get more gay characters, they kind of branch out. And like, that's not to excuse the like the kind of poor writing that he has in this part of the season, but it's like, I, they do grow both as writers and as characters. I would actually argue that the writing here is really good. And it's something we touched on last episode. It's because there were lots of white gay men in the writer's room of Glee. And thus the stories of white gay men are written very accurately. I think that Kurt is actually like a really well-written character. I think at this point, however, what with the social climate of 2009, he almost had like they're tackling his coming out story kind of right up front because Mm -hmm. they wanted to make a character that is so like unapologetically gay. And they wanted to make Mm -hmm. a character that's like, yes, this guy is effeminate and he is just as deserving of any respect as anyone else. And then they proceed to disrespect Kurt the entire six seasons. Uh, Kurt has to lie, say that he's on the football team and Bert's like, oh, well, you'll have to get me a ticket to your first game and Kurt's like uh oh and then we get the title sequence um first of all the scene includes these horrifying close-ups that would give Tom Hooper Lemez a run for its money we're doing breathing exercises you know like labor practice my least favorite character is back Kendra she's here again ah and like I understand okay I need to I need to stay up front here I understand that childbirth is hard I know I'm aware however Kendra you're scaring her so much and you're scaring him. And also he, she says that he, Will is making this about him to which Will rightly says, when have I made this about me? He's just, he's literally just being supportive. Like you can do this. You've got this. You're doing great. She's so controlling. And I think I did touch about touch on this a little earlier as well, but I think the more we see from Kendra, the more it makes us question like, what kind of family did Terry grow up in to kind of like make her into this, into the manipulative person she is. And it's like, because she has this like awful family. She tells Terry that like, she's making childbirth and pregnancy sound so much worse so that Terry can like hold it over Will's head and like use it against him because like he did this to her, um, which is super manipulative and awful this scene they are practicing these breathing motions and you're right like they start to argue and Kendra's like oh let me let me teach you how to massage the gas bubbles out of Terry's stomach and they're like about to touch Terry's stomach and Terry's like no 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 no," and says he might bruise the baby and we know what she's freaking out about because she's not actually pregnant but she sends him out of the room and she's like Kendra I have to tell you something and I for I blocked this line out of my head um the line is is the baby black I don't even have words for how much I don't like that Ken Terry tells Kendra that like no I'm not pregnant and she starts panicking and explains that the baby is the only thing that's keeping their marriage together it doesn't seem entirely true to me because like we saw in the first episode that their marriage was sort of on the rocks, but I wouldn't say he was like one foot out the door or anything. And I do think it's relevant to mention here that Terry does want to tell him. 
she does want like i'm gonna tell him i'm going to tell him uh and kendra backs her off from that and she says something that uh just makes me want to tear my hair out which is dishonesty is like food to a marriage no it's not yeah she immediately (laughs) tells terry to stop being so emotional your sister just told you that her marriage is falling apart and that she's faking a pregnancy and your reaction is stop being so emotional I will note here, uh, Jessalyn Gilsig is the uh, actress who plays Terry, and she is chef's kiss in this scene. She's such a good actress. She was also the voice of Kaylee in Quest for Camelot, if you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Your knowledge astounds me sometimes, and I mean that as a compliment. I want to be clear. So Kendra's like, oh, you know, we'll just continue lying to Will. And she's like, oh, well, the easy solution is that we're just going to get you a baby. As if that's something easy to do. Uh, We cut and Will is walking into the teacher's lounge. He's like looking for a place to sit and decides to sit with Emma and Ken um, because they're his only friends. They aren't talking when he sits down and then Emma immediately goes into how she watches the local news. um, And she knows like that it's depressing, but she's fascinated by it at the same time. And Ken says it's because you're fascinated by disaster, but it gives you some distance, which is not, I think, incorrect to say but it's also like a weird thing to say in your place of work and she continues on to tell us about I think the most iconic thing this show ever did which was Sue's Corner. Yes so Sue has a news segment on the local news channel called Sue's Corner and the first Sue's Corner we get is essentially she's advocating for child abuse for like 45 seconds straight in this segment, she says, at the end, she says, yes, we cane, because she's talking about caning children. Um, and this is also directly after the 2008 presidential election, where I believe Barack Obama's slogan was, yes, we can. Um, which is just, like, I don't even have anything to say about that. I just think it's an interesting observation to make, because it's absolutely wild. But, like, it's important to highlight Stu's Corner for me, because this is exactly where Glee hit the nail on the head, that perfect balance between awful and hilarious. hmm um, so Sue enters the teacher's lounge and she makes Ken pull out a seat for her, even though he's already sitting. And then she and also he, just doesn't she, sit down in it. <laughs> she explains that um, her segment has caused ratings on the channel to spike, which is probably because she talked about caning children on the news. Um, and she she walks in. And just kind of starts ripping on each of them for like 30 seconds. She's like, Men- Emma, you have mental illness. Ken, you're 40 and single. And Will, you have terrible hair. And then she leaves because she has a satellite interview. And then that's that scene. Like, we, we don't get anything else after that. It's That's the scene. Uh, yeah. And we go into the club and Rachel is just like, this is the wrong key. And he goes, no, it's not. You have the alto part. And can I just say, as a chronic alto part haver, I didn't finish that sentence, but like, Respect the alto part, Rachel, or I'm, I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> Can I also say, too, so first of all, this isn't how sheet music works. So if I was handing out sheet music, like to a choir or to a glee club, I suppose, when you divide up parts on sheet music, you highlight, like, the notes. It's not like she was handed a sheet of paper that only has, like, the alto line written on the treble clef bar you would have all of the parts written and you would just highlight the notes that the alto part sings. Second of all, what do you mean it's in the wrong key, Rachel? All sheet music, like if you're all singing a song as a group, everyone's singing in the same key. What she might mean by this is 
Rachel would be able to sing it higher, whereas Tina is more of a mezzo. So she but, might be like, this is the wrong key. It's too low, which is like still. I I get what you mean. But w- when they showed Tina singing it later, she is singing tonight, tonight. Uh, I just sang it awfully, but it is in the right key. So yeah, they didn't I change. Don't understand. I don't, I don't think Glee knows how sheet music works. This is a deep cut, but I think in like season five or whatever, Rachel has to learn piano and we discover that like she has no idea how to read sheet music. So like, how do you know it's written in the wrong key, Rachel? You see, that would require Glee to have consistency, which they just simply do not. She gets this sheet music from Mr. Shu, and she's like, oh, this isn't the right part. You gave me the wrong sheet music. And he's like, yes, I did. Or I, I did give you the right sheet music. Tina is singing the solo in Tonight from West Side Story. And Rachel is like, <gasps> no, Maria is my part. And she tries to argue that like, since Natalie Wood was Jewish, um, who played Maria in the movie, that it's fine if she plays Maria. And first of all, no, it's not Rachel. It's also not really fine to cast an Asian person as Maria, but like also let Tina have something. And Will is like, no, you're being unfair to Tina. And he is right. And then Mercedes speaks out and Mercedes like, wait, I'm a jet, which also doesn't make sense because the jets are the super racist white group. So also made up of entirely boys. So it makes no sense for Mercedes to be one. So also like, they act as though they're like putting on a full production of West Side Story and Rachel's like, Tina can't play Maria. And it's like, yeah, no, duh. They're like, they're just doing the one song. No, if this was like a full production, then Mercedes wouldn't get cast as a jet and Tina probably wouldn't get cast as Maria, but you're just doing one song. Sorry, I have a lot of- No, I agree with that. Like it's called a performance. I don't care if you don't think that Tina could play the part. She doesn't need to play the part. She needs to sing the song it's this consistent thing we get from Rachel where like she just expects any solo to go to her any solo from any song in the glee club it just should automatically go to her and then anytime anyone doesn't and she expects other people to be fine with not getting solos but then anytime Mm -hmm. she doesn't get the solo she like throws a tantrum which is exactly what happens here she storms off if I may This scene is like completely centered around Tina. Like they're arguing over who should get the solo. And Tina has no lines in this scene. A crime, truly a crime against Jenna Ushwitz herself. I have to share this because I found it out just the other day. Apparently in the first episode, the airing of the pilot, they forgot to put Jenna Ushwitz's name on the credits. No. And she will. And like after that first episode, she says, I thought I was going to get fired. And then like, it just became like, I think she says it became like half a running gag, half sometimes they would legitimately forget. And like sometimes in the airings of the episodes, they would just forget to put Jenna Ushkowitz on the credits. How? Crime. The racism leaped out. Crimes against both Tina Cohen Chang and Jenna Ushkowitz herself. Um, back to the scene. Uh, Artie says correctly, the more time she stores out, the less impact it has. And then Kurt... I guess Finn's just like milling about and Kurt calls him over and he's like, I want to ask you something. And Finn says, I already have a date to prom. Sorry, I know how important dances are to teen gays. And Finn go- and Kurt goes, I'm not gay. Um, which shows that he still does not really trust Finn. Um, which, you know, he has been bullied relentlessly by all of these football players for, uh, one can assume, his entire high school career, perhaps longer. Yeah, so like valid. 
Well, also, isn't it like September? What do you mean you're going to prom? That's another thing. What part of the school year is this even? Because <laughs> prom happens in like May, right? Yeah, like I would think maybe he means homecoming, but like that's anyway. Kurt's <laughs> like, no, I wasn't going to ask you to the prom. He says, I, or he says like, I need a favor. And then we cut to the football quad. And I, I just want to note there are maybe field, like- Lori. What did I say? You said football quad. Is that wrong? It's a football field, hon. Stop. This episode like focuses too much on football for me. And like, I don't, I just don't understand it. I have a note about that later that I think is actually kind of funny. Anyway, continuing. Um, Kurt um, thanks Finn for getting him this, you know, shot and notes like, you're a really great guy. And Finn's like, oh, this is just to help me because with you, trying out for the football team, there will be more crossover between Glee and football. And I think that's a bit of a cop-out on Finn's part. Like, he doesn't want to admit that he cares about Kurt this early. Um, yeah. And Kurt, like, goes to get his music ready, and Finn's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to do your your dance in front of everyone. And he's and like... Finn, and Kurt says, if we're doing this, we're doing it my way. Finn, Finn does also, like, I don't know Finn goes back and forth you know from being like a really caring person and like occasionally clearly has a lot of homophobia still inside him um and he explains that like hey I had to do a lot of explaining with all the teammates to get you this shot at the team so you can't go and mess it all up which is like clearly just Finn being homophobic um and Kurt says my body is like a rum chocolate souffle if I don't warm it up right it doesn't rise and like same me getting out of bed in the morning that chronic pain feel <laughs> Oof, yeah kurt asserts that he's gonna do this his way and then puck comes up from behind as kurt walks away and puck is like oh are you guys like gay now uh and puck's like or and finn tries to call him out he's like but you were in aga fellas like what do you mean it's gay to sing or gay to be on Glee Club. And Puck's like, no, no, no. It's cool for me to be on acapellas because I get all the hot ladies. It's lame for you to be in Glee Club. And then they just call the huddle. Like as if, like this episode is such a cornucopia of evidence that Puck is just the worst. Yeah. There's so many memorable lines in this first season and in these first few episodes, because then we get, hello, I'm Kurt Hummel and I'll be auditioning for the role of kicker. As he says this, all the football guys like start to laugh. But Ken, the coach, has said that whoever gets the next ball through the thing. Field goal. The next person who can successfully kick a field goal. Yes, that gets to be on the team. So he lines up to kick the ball and he starts the single ladies choreo and he does like I want to say like 30 seconds of dance. Like he, he's straight yeah. up not even near the ball. He's just dancing. And then he kicks the I ball do also and he nails say, it. I do also want to say uh, this scene is legendary, but I also physically cannot bring myself to watch it because of the secondhand embarrassment. Oh, uh, I the love cringe it. cringe is too strong. <laughs> and he goes, is that good? Yeah. Also, so he gets on the team and then he starts doing this pageant wave as everyone's cheering um so also i do want to mention ken comes out and he's just like can you do that with the game on the line and the all like the other high school boys out for your blood and kurt just goes sounds fun i don't have any commentary i just love that i love kurt so much then we cut to sue getting signing uh returning fan mail uh and she has apparently taken a pro littering stance 
it's some guy from like this higher up cheerleading like league comes to sue's office and he says that like no it's the guy it's the guy from the television station oh okay yeah and he says that they hired her because she's a champion so she needs to win nationals otherwise she's going to get fired because she's not a champion anymore well and they say like it it's not looking so good with our viewers that your cheerleaders have begun defecting to the glee club and that she will need to win nationals in order to like continue her career i suppose or couldn't continue her rising stardom you could say even though it's not really stardom if it's only happening in a small ohio town i will also note this is i think this is kind of sort of supposed to be a foil to the new directions because we found out in a previous previous episode that the new directions have to win regionals in order to continue which is technically like the second highest level there's sectionals regionals and nationals so it's a bit of a um, foil that Sue now also has to win nationals and she can't do it without her girls who have joined the Glee Club. Sue also has a line uh, in this about how pro-littering is good because then the uh, street cleaners will earn their paycheck so they can get tacos for their families. And just a reminder, the show is the worst because that vague racism is just glossed over like nothing. Also, like people in the service industry d- deserve respect. Um, respect your sanitation workers or custodians. They have some of the most dangerous jobs out there because of the risk of spreading disease. That was my point there. Um, so yeah. we cut to Quinn in the hall. Uh, Finn begins following her and and he's like, you know, you've been giving me the silent treatment all day. And I will note that there are these close-ups of Finn and Quinn's faces that mirror Will and Terry's from the opening scene. And as they're in these close-ups, Quinn tells Finn she's pregnant. Finn in this is showing himself like a little bit, when it comes to his relationship with Quinn, very conflict avoidant, like very much like the first one to apologize because he says, whatever it was I did, I'm sorry. Diana is acting the crap out of this scene. Yeah, Diana is so good in this scene and as most Quinn's scenes. Um, She's, yeah, she's kind of like, I would say, not quite on the verge of tears, but like clearly holding back a lot of emotion. And I will also note, they're also like in the hallways. It's not like a crowded hallway, but there's definitely other kids around. So I'm like, who is hearing this? (laughs) They're not whispering. And it does again, like a little bit, not like shaky cam, but like very much like a, like to get us into Finn's head a little bit. He just hears like his own heartbeat mostly. And like sound fading in and out of her, like explaining, like at first I wasn't sure and I didn't know it. The scene is heartbreaking because teen pregnancy isn't a joke, despite how much we will treat it as one later on. Finn is also baffled by this because he's like, but we never had sex. And Quinn's like, oh, and they do a cut cut scene and they show a scene where they are making out in a hot tub and Finn got a little too excited and came prematurely. Some scenes I look back on and I'm like, oh, that's not that bad. Like, why did my mom have to like skip those scenes for me? But here I'm like, oh, that's why my mom like didn't let me watch this episode. Oh. Um, And so we cut back and Quinn explains like, oh yeah, Google or Ask Jeeves, she says, because that's because it's 2009. She said, Ask Jeeves said that a hot tub was the perfect temperature for sperm and Finn starts hyperventilating. And I will say this. So he asks are you gonna get a 
and kind of trails off implying that he's asking if she's gonna uh, get an abortion and I just it's definitely definitely like a little sus for him to suggest it in the first place Um, but I like that he asks in a way that makes it clear that it's her choice and not in Mm -hmm. a like well obviously you have to get an abortion or well obviously you're gonna carry to term Um, yeah so He's asking a question, and I do think maybe he asks that because she does seem so upset by this idea. Um, but he does ask, like, what are you going to do? Sort of before he questions, like, how he's going to support her and react. Which, um, mm. Finn, I, he has many flaws. I will not pretend he does not have many, many flaws, but I do love him. I, this is also just, like, a really beautiful humanizing scene for Quinn as well. Because up until this point, we've kind of just seen her be, like, a huge jerk to everyone as well. And kind of just, yeah, she's like Sue's double agent. Like that's been her personality up until this point. But like Diana mm-hmm. Agron gives her like such depth here. And they hug. Um, and then we cut to this awful shot of a shelf filled with little baby dolls. It's Sue visiting um, Sandy. Where to even start with Sandy? Yeah, uh, they're at his house. It looks like, it looks like a grandma's house. Uh, and he tries to appear as though he's got his whole life together. I think he's like serving them tea or something. And Sue kind of calls him out and he's like, yeah, never mind. Yesterday, nine cans of whipped cream, which is iconic. Like, I don't even know where to start with him. So like, I don't have any notes because there's just so much. He's still not allowed within 50 feet of children, but we're just going to gloss over that again, I guess. Um, because Sue says she's going to make him the director of arts for the school, which I don't know how they have that in the budget to hire someone to do that. Um, and he says, I know how we're going to get to Rachel Berry so we can get her out of the Glee Club so the Glee Club fails. It's Liza Minnelli and Celine Dion. So, um, yeah, Sandy's like totally in on this scheme. You know, we're going to take down the Glee Club and then we're going to hold auditions for this production of Cabaret, which... I'm, I'm sure there is a high school version of Cabaret, but I, I, I think that's kind of an inappropriate show. I don't think most high schools do that. Um, although, to be fair, this school will later do Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, the sign-up sheet says that auditioners must sing a Celine Dion song, which is ridiculous. We also, we see Rachel signing up her name. She puts her gold star and we get that star fire transition again for Rachel that we got in the first episode. Um, so we have cutthroat Rachel back. And then we we get the first, I think, like official cover of the episode, which is Taking Chances by Celine Dion. Um, I think it's a great cover. I think she sounds great singing it. However, um, two things. First of all, I think this song was the birth of my obsession with Glee music specifically because I vividly remember going over to a friend's house and like watching YouTube videos on her computer or whatever and her showing me like Katy Perry Perry, Taylor Swift, and me being like, so here's the Glee cover of Taking Chances by Celine Dion. My reaction to this was, this is a Celine Dion song? This also begins a trend with other uh, episodes of Glee where characters are auditioning for something, where they'll sing a song that is just completely not fitting the show at all. This song sounds nothing like the style of music in Cabaret. So like, I just, how would you- it, it makes me, it makes me so mad when they're like, we're going to audition for musicals. And then they sing a pop song because those are two different styles of singing. 
Well, and all, but there's also some pop songs that might sound similar to like a contemporary musical, but you wouldn't sing like, I don't know, the first pop song that came to my head was Baby Got Back. So I'm just going to go with it. You wouldn't sing like Baby Got Back if you were auditioning for like Les Mis, right? So why would you I mean, sing? someone on like, Glee might. Well, someone on Glee might, you're right. So yeah, uh, she also, she finishes singing. This is also, so this is a really good cover. I really like the way she does this. Her voice fits it nicely because it's this kind of almost like overly passionate song. It's very, it fits the way Rachel like kind of over emotes a lot. Um, and she finishes yeah. singing and they immediately cast her as Sally Bowles. And I just have to question if there's anyone else auditioning because you know, you need a cast in order to put on a show. So like, where's the cast? I mean, I can justify them immediately casting her as Sally Bowles because like the whole ploy was to get her the main role so that she feels more appreciated in the show than in Glee Club. We cut to another scene in Figgins's office, the principal's office, where Will is obviously upset that an accused pedophile is back in school. And Figgins is like, well, he was never actually charged with anything and only one person ever accused him of anything. And it was Rachel Berry. So... We don't know how much to believe her. Figgins has allowed Sandy to come back because Sue is blackmailing him with this, like, I don't think it's that bad. It's this, like, kind of embarrassing video of him, like, doing a PSA for an airplane. Whatever Glee needs to get the plot going, you know? Yeah. We just do this, um, like, fun back and forth where, or I should say, it's not a fun back and forth. It's actually really stressful because Will is in the principal's office trying to argue, like, these people are trying to take oh, take kids from my Glee Club. And then we cut, and it's Will and Rachel talking about not leaving Glee Club because she hasn't left Glee Club yet, but she's kind of one foot out the door. Um, and Rachel's like, Rachel tries to argue that, you know, she's always been a team player. And, and my note for that is, ma'am, name me literally one time that you have been like, a team player. I've literally never seen you be a team player, Rachel. Um, she also accuses Will of not liking her. And honestly, kind of valid. You're unbearable, Rachel. And Will rightfully says that I am your biggest and sometimes your only fan. And like also me, because I am also a Rachel Berry stan. So she says, quote, I know I can be abrasive, bossy, and conceited. I'm just hurt that you judge me on that and not on my talent. And I have like, Rachel, no, we do judge you on your talent. But also in order to make it in the industry, you have to be like at least tolerable to work with. Like you have to be nice to the people you're working with in order to get jobs, Rachel. And you clearly have been like so awful to your fellow team, mem team members so far. Um, also, he is judging you on your talent, Rachel. Like he he called he's called her the most talented person in club like twice now and he he just gave tina a solo because it's nice to give things to your students rachel it's a high school glee club it's not hollywood like you yeah. have to be like people continue to work with leonardo dicaprio even though he's awful because he's leonardo dicaprio which is not an excuse for his behavior but like you can kind of when you're an established person in hollywood you can better get away with being crappy to everyone whereas yeah. rachel you're in high school will also says that that like all the other glee club members slack off because they think that rachel will pull their weight and i just want to say this is slander to all the other glee kids and i won't have it kurt and Mer specifically to kurt and mercedes and artie 
and Tina, Tina and Finn. Yeah, and Tina. Yeah, it is just all of them. We cut back to the um, Figgins office scene, and Will even kind of catches on to Sue blackmailing Figgins, but Sandy, like, officially, he, he, he pulls a Neville from iCarly and says, you'll rue this, Will. Um, and we cut back to Will and Rachel, and Rachel's like, well, give me a reason to stay. You know, I still don't have a boyfriend, and, like, I don't know who told Rachel that joining Glee Club was the way to get a boyfriend, but that person lied to you, Rachel. She also says quote, Tina's great, but why do you have to hurt me to make her feel good? And I just have in all caps, shut up. Oh my gosh. Not getting a solo. I I said this already. Not getting a solo is not a personal attack. He was not doing this to hurt you. Rachel, you've had like two solos an episode since we started. Like let Tina have this. Also, we already talked about taking chances, but that is the only song this episode. Yeah. So like, I guess I didn't realize that. Yeah, so like, what do you mean you don't get enough solos, Rachel? You have the only solo this episode. You're the only so, song this episode. Also, um, really we, cool and great that in an episode where Tina is the main conflict and focus, we don't have any lines from her. Yeah, so we get into Tina singing tonight. I, I assume that this is a first run through. And she mm-hmm. sounds good. She actually sounds really good. She needs a little practice. She's a little hesitant with it because I I think this is her first go. She needs breath support, which is something that you're supposed to learn in Glee Club how to do. But like, I genuinely, she can do this. She can do this song. She doesn't know how to like breathe with her diaphragm instead of her chest or whatever. She like isn't quite hitting the high notes at the end because she has to switch into her falsetto and it sounds kind of weak. At this point, I kind of have to call into question Will's ability to coach kids vocally. I don't think he's doing it at all. I don't think he's coaching them vocally. I think he's just giving them songs. Well, right. Because like, like, cool, whatever. Tina isn't a soprano. But like, she could be coached into hitting the high notes. Because she sounded really good otherwise. He's being really encouraging to her. But also, just encouragement won't help her sing better, Will. Like, just give her coaching. That's going to help her sing better and feel you're a teacher do your job and teach tina does say i truly i think a classy queen moment from tina where she says that he'll have to give the song to rachel taking one for the team because she knows that rachel will quit if she doesn't get it and like not that tina should have had to do that but i think it is very gracious of her to sacrifice you know so do you also feel bad that she's you know because she does deserve this solo. Mm-hmm. And she does sound really good. And mm-hmm. Rachel is making it all about herself for no reason. Uh, well, there is a reason. It's because she thinks the world revolves around her when it doesn't. Not a good reason. I- so Tina exits and then Finn enters. And I guess he's like about to talk to Will about something. But then he like immediately starts crying. And Will hugs him. And it's a very sweet moment from them. Because like. Yeah, it's a very genuine, genuine moment. Yeah, I admittedly, like, it is weird that by the time Will is getting married in, like, seasons, I think, four or five, his only friends are teenagers, but I do live for their father-son bond, and they're kind of foil to each other as they both prepare to have a baby. Um, So I think, I think what happens is they cut, and Will is taking Finn out to dinner, I guess, and they're, like, discussing plans and discussing how they feel, which is nice. We love men having proactive conversations with their father figures and And Finn says that he needs to he's he doesn't want to be one of the guys in Lima who has a kid in high school um he 
doesn't have enough money to go to college. He needs a football scholarship. And so he asks, Will, he brings up this book that he has uh, because he just found out that you can borrow books from the library. Um, he brings up a book about, I forget, oh, I feel so bad. I forget who the football player was, but he did. He was a dancer, he learned ballet. And like, that's a pretty common thing, I think, uh, for athletes just because of the footwork involved. And he asks Will to teach the football team how to dance because then it'll loosen them up, give them some more confidence and the team might start winning because he, the team needs to win if he wants to get a football scholarship. And then we cut to Will and Terry at home. He's explaining Finn's situation to Terry and how awful Quinn must feel not being able to tell anybody and how awful it must be to hide something like that. And we get this like little light bulb idea like little light bulb face from terry and we don't know what idea she's gotten yet because we cut to the boys locker room after football assumably and puck is all pissy about having to learn dancing just to be good at football and finn's like you're not even good at football kurt is the one who's good at football yeah he also makes uh comment about like what are we supposed to be confident as amazonian black woman i'm gonna bash your face in puck just stop just i wish i was as confident as an amazon you know then we get a line from kurt where that just confirms that kurt's read the art of war by sun Tzu, and he's like you know you want your you never want your enemy to be able to know what to expect of you or something like that and so we, they all go to the choir room and they start learning the single ladies dance. And I think this is our first glance of Mike. I was about to say, I'm so happy to see our king, our unproblematic king, Mike Chang for the first time. And this is, so this was when they had Harry Shum Jr. on as like an extra dancer. They had him and Dijon Talton join uh, the Glee Club just to be like extras basically, or be extra people in the dance scenes for sure. And it, first of all, because he's a playing a football player here, it's so iconic to see him pretend to not know how to dance, you know? Um, he knows how to dance. He's pretending he doesn't know how to dance, but he's also still the best dancer in the room. Clearly, yeah. Um, Kurt interrupts. I also love like, the something, something, something. Through the hair, slap the butt. And it, just the line, the delivery. I, I love Chris Colfer. Kurt is teaching for, I want to say, like 10 seconds, and he's already teaching better than Mr. Shu has been. Also, Puck. Puck isn't even doing the dancing. He's just like crossed arms off in the corner being moody because he's awful. And then Ken cuts rehearsal like right when they're starting to get it. As Finn and Puck are exiting, Puck notes that, you know, Finn's been acting kind of weird lately and Finn kind of resists at first. And Finn he's says, like, do you, you do, he's like, I knew it. You do have a crush on Kurt. Finn is like fed up with Puck, like egging him on. And Finn just turns and says, Quinn's pregnant. She's keeping the baby. And we see this like awful look of shock on Puck's face. They keep telling us that Puck and Finn are best friends and then never showing us that Puck and Finn are friends. We just show Finn being there and Puck being awful to him. We cut to this like really sad shot of Quinn walking down the hall. She seems very lonely. And Puck kind of steps in front of her and stops her. And he calls her a MILF because he's, again, awful. We've established this. And we find out that Quinn cheated on Finn. And Puck knows that since she never had sex with Finn, obviously the baby is his. And I again, they are in 
I don't want to say it's not a crowded hallway, but there's definitely other people present. So like, like how do other people not hear them? He literally yells at one point, well, call the Vatican because we've got ourselves another immaculate conception. And that is kind of a funny line. I will not give the character credit for that. Um, And she says, and he says like, I can take care of you. I could take care of the baby and you way better than Finn could. I don't know what leads him to believe that, but he uh, does apparently. He's like my pool cleaning business. And she goes, we live in Ohio. And she says, you're all, you always have been a Lima loser. You're always going to be a Lima loser. And uh, I just want to say everything about Puck's entire personality would imply that she is correct. Yeah. Um, I do have a little note about this. Like Puck does get some more character development later. Like we find out more about how his dad left him and how he doesn't want to be like his dad. I definitely feel like this early Puck though would absolutely be awful to his kid. Like this early Puck is the type to like kick his son out of the house for being gay, that kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, Quinn tells him, you know, you're a Lima loser and she runs off and she runs to her car crying in the rain and she's, you know, in her car. Another rain car scene. And Terry is in the car and Terry starts monologuing like a horror movie villain about how Quinn can't tell anybody she's pregnant. And Quinn's like, who even are you? And Terry hatches this awful plan. How did Terry get into the car? We cut off before we have the conversation about, you know, but it is strongly implied, you know, Terry is going to pass off Quinn's baby as her own. Uh, Um, And I just, I I have to know, how does that conversation go? Like you thought you were getting into a fun teen drama and now there's women stealing babies. Also, well, I don't know, stealing, you know, consensually taking. I don't don't know. Consensually taking. Um, And then we just cut away from that scene as if that didn't happen. Um, And it's a football game now. Yay. Uh, I don't know enough about football to have commentary about this scene, but I can gather that it's bad. Uh, going poorly they don't score the implication is that they score the other team scored a touchdown and missed the field goal so they only have six points also a note so the teams begin to throw yo mama jokes at each other and that'll come back later because it's incredibly iconic line coming up um there's like a little huddle and puck's like no the dancing was like so gay and i don't want to do it puck says he doesn't want to be a joke for the rest of his high school career high school only lasts four years buddy yeah like chill but we see Kurt's dad Bert joining the stands and Kurt is so excited to see him he starts like jumping up and down he's like hey dad I'm I'm here it's so cute so it's literally like the last uh four seconds of the quarter or whatever and Finn's like time out and he tells the team we gotta do the dance and Puck's like no that's gay and Finn says I don't want to be a Lima loser my whole life and that's that's Finn's reflection on you know not wanting to be one of the guys who has a baby in high school and then never moves out. But it obviously strikes a chord with Puck because Quinn because just said that to him earlier as well. And like, okay, I hate Puck. And the fact that, you know, Cougars hit on him when he's 16 is awful. But as the other team's guy is like hounding him and like trying to make yo mama jokes, he turns around and he says, quote, hey, I had sex with your mother. I came over to clean your pool and then I had sex with her on your bed. Nice Star Wars. Nice sheets. Star Wars sheets. Which is gross, but like, oh my God, what an iconic moment. Disgusting because that is a minor having sex with like a woman in her 40s. From the perspective of someone like who has been in high school somewhat recently, devastating. <laughs> yeah. Like, how would I be able to go on from there? 
And that's the only good line we get from Puck ever again. Um, um, so they start playing, they start up the play, they start doing single ladies. And I don't, I definitely don't think this is allowed within the rules of football, but as mentioned, it should be, it should be required. That, uh, that because, the team do a dance before they score. And also the McKinley High Titans are rocking this dance. Like it genuinely, they're doing a really good job. Yeah. Um, I think there are some body doubles here, like of the actors, like there's definitely not the same guys that we saw before, um, but they are killing it. And Finn calls Hut. And he throws the ball and they make it to the end goal and the other end end zone, the end zone, whatever. I don't know. Um, (laughs) And they score and there's a cute little Will and Emma hug moment. And then they like awkwardly part. And now Kurt is up to kick a goal. Um, Is up to kick a field goal. No, Kurt goes up to start like getting ready to try and kick for the extra point. And Bert has this line that breaks my heart. Uh, not breaks my heart, but like makes me very emotional. And he says, he's so little. And that comment can be taken one of two ways. And I have the way that I want to take it. It can be taken as disparaging or concerned. Like he's so little, this is going to go bad. But like, it can also, I choose concerned given what we see of Bert like later on. And also given the fact that people do get really bad concussions in high school football. And yeah. if, a, and we've seen like the size comparison to the other guys on the opposite team. So if someone were to like tackle him, it would do some damage. Um, so Kurt does his little dance and then he <laughs> kicks the ball and he gets it through the Field thing, goal. the goal. Okay. So that time I'm okay to say goal, but then the other time I couldn't say field goal. Field goal. It's a field. He gets the field goal and the ref comes up, throws his arms up to do the field goal gesture. And we get Bert grabbing these two guys by the back of their shirts and just screaming, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's my boy. Uh, again, cries and loving Bert Hummel. I was genuinely in tears at this part. I just love Bert Hummel so much. Only man. Um, Truly an icon. Um, Kurt even gets lifted on his team member's shoulders. Everyone's like so happy. And then Puck sees Quinn and Finn share this kiss of joy. And suddenly he's all alone on the field, walking off by himself. And then we cut to Kurt in his basement at the end of the night. And Bert is coming down uh, while he's while Kurt is doing his skincare routine. And Bert expresses how proud he is. And he wishes Kurt's mom had seen it. Um, and that's when we learned that Kurt's mom died. And Kurt turns around and he says, I've got something to say. And it's this beautiful moment where he says, I'm glad that you're proud of me. But I also don't want to lie anymore. And he, he talks about how both being on football and being in Glee Club has really taught him that, you know, there's no part of his life that she should feel ashamed of or feel like he needs to hide from. And he says, I'm gay. And Bert says, I know. And he says he's known since Kurt was like a little toddler, which- Since um, his third birthday when what he wanted was a pair of sensible heels, um, which again, pretty stereotypical, but also kind of sweet. Uh, and also he says- uh, and his stance on this will later change. Uh, he says he's not thrilled about it, but he can't do, if that's who his son is, he can't do anything about it. And he loves him just as much, which I think is, you know, Bert Hummel, only parent. Um, and they hug and he says, thank you for telling me. And, and before he leaves, he goes, you're sure, right? And, he, and Kurt goes, yeah, dad, I'm goes, sure. Yes, yeah, dad, I'm sure. And Bert goes, just checking. <laughs> this is another moment where like Glee balances like the high emotions and like the humor because Mm -hmm. we get this very genuine emotional moment where like they hug oh they hug and you can tell they both want that hug so bad um 
and then it's we end with like a little a little joke yeah very beautiful and then we cut to quinn at her locker and finn comes up and he gives her his baby blanket that his dad gave him and he says he wants their baby to have it and that he's going to do everything he can to be a good father and they hug and it's so sweet and then puck comes up makes comments about like i've been getting sick in the mornings you look like you've gained weight and all this other stuff he's also i want to mention this (laughs) he's wearing a shirt that says athletic department in the glee font like the font that the title is in wait i'll have to go look that up because that's hilarious I looked at it and I was just like, wait, what? Uh, is that, for- it might be foreshadowing because he does he does go on to join the Glee Club, but like, that's so iconic. And Loki, I want that shirt so bad. Finn and Puck have this like kind of stupid, like macho moment, but Finn is defending his girlfriend. Like, whereas Puck is the one who's being like really immature about all this, clearly like has some, I think like unresolved feelings for Quinn. It's this like kind of stupid macho moment, but Finn is obviously doing the right thing. It's one of those things where I think this is more about Puck would not have given it up if Finn hadn't said something than Finn feeling he needs to step in because he doesn't think Quinn can take care of herself because she does refute hit Puck first two times. And it is unfortunate to say that about some men that like they will not back off just because a woman says to, like they have to hear it from a man. And so only after Quinn has like defended herself and Puck has just ignored it, does Finn come in and say like, hey, don't talk to my girlfriend like that. Um, And then we... We cut and we're doing another Sue's Corner and she ends with this little message about not being afraid to shake things up. And um, she says, quote, like at homeless people, give not being a homeless a try. And and Will has decided to keep the solo with Tina like he should. And so Rachel quits. But we find out that Matt, Mike and Puck are joining the glee club they're all football boys however matt and mike we don't really get to know this season matt we don't get to know at all yeah i think he gets like two lines over the course of this season we'll have to like point out every time he gets a line and then we um just kind of finish with this idea from sue um to quote convince yourself that people are cheering for you and someday they will um which does kind of it almost harkens to the loser like me song that the glee club will later write and I think it's something that kind of carries us through a lot of um, the themes of Glee to kind of like a fake it till you make it or like believe in yourself even when no one else does. In doing like a review of this episode, there's only one song this episode and it's Taking Chances. So I guess it is simultaneously the best and worst song of this episode. And it isn't even a full song. It's just like the last chorus. They did release it as a full song though, and it is really good. Will Suster hasn't done much wrong this episode. He's actually been a pretty good character. Um, yeah, I really like how he's stood up for Tina throughout this episode, even though it would have been great if Tina had lines and could stand up for herself as well. Yeah, this is another, not, I don't want to say it's the same as Acafella's because in Acafella's it truly feels like nothing has happened. But like, mm-hmm. it feels like, it feels like we're still in chapter one, you know? Which yeah. seems like uh, a lot for, this is the fourth episode. It feels like we should be kind of like further along in the story, but we've had our, all of our establishments. And like, this is that closing of quote unquote chapter one. We know like definitively what the plot is. So Sue is trying to get rid of Glee Club. Quinn is pregnant. Terry's not pregnant. Rachel is awful. (laughs) Rachel is. (sighs) We knew that to begin with. Next week, we, I would say it's not a plateau really. However, like, because these were such heavy plot establishing episodes, Um, the episodes do get a little easier 
we meet Kristen Chenoweth as April Rhodes, thereby disrupting the entire space-time continuum of the existence of Kristen Chenoweth and the existence of Wicked in the same universe. It's, oh, that, yeah, I have thoughts. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Sensations podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Sensations Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Sensations Pod. You can find us on Facebook at Sensations Pod. And you can find us on Tumblr at Sensations Pod. And all of those are spelled S-I-N-G-S-A-T-I-O-N-S-P-O-D. And one day I'll be able to say that whole thing without having to look at it directly in front of me.